1: Those individuals that don't wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories.
0: What does a pathway in education look like now? What might be a pathway to excellence? What might be the pathway to excellence? What if there is no the? What if we have students whose education is shaped within an ecosystem that's designed to equip, empower, and engage them, to take them from the places they've been to the places where they might go with an abiding sense of hope for the future. Sally Laslett is the principal at the Hester Hornbrook Academy. She's been an educational leader for a long time now and doing remarkable work. I can't wait, I'm excited Let's go, Adriana. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers
1: guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 7
0: sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course I can. We are proud to be partnered with EDAPT Education. EDAPT Education helps schools from around Australia bring together their academic, engagement, wellbeing, intervention and student voice data onto one platform. Let your data work for you to improve the academic growth and wellbeing of all students in your school. For training and support to help you get started, visit www.edapt.education. That's www.edapt.education. Let's go.
1: Bill, it is so wonderful to be with you again. How have you coped with the, the, the last few days of
0: torrential rain and lockdown here in glorious Melbourne? Look, I've been enjoying the fact that uh, Auckland has displaced Melbourne as the most livable city in the world.
1: you enjoyed that, haven't you? You know what what really upset me the most is that Adelaide now is ranked higher than Melbourne. Adelaide, I mean, it's got one tram and one road. I mean, I don't understand what could be possibly livable about that. We've just lost so many listeners. And and, and,
0: all our Adelaideans, all our Radeladians out there, we love you.
1: Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to a very uh, important guest that we have with us today on Series 7 of the Games. Changes podcast. Sally, it is so wonderful that you're with us today. I'm going to get straight to the very first question a question we ask all of our Game Changes guests. And that is, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you have gotten to where you are today?
2: Sure. Thanks for having me today. Um, I have been in education since I left uni a long time ago. Uh, came from being a secondary school teacher um, and a textbook author. And I did lots of PD for for my fellow Home Echo teachers throughout my time, uh, eventually got to leadership and then into a principal class role in the Department of Education in Victoria. And really my passion is for ensuring that we understand the wellbeing of our young people so that they can be successful in education. I think that, that idea of wellbeing has to come before outcomes and educational success And I'm really lucky to be at the Hester Hornbrook Academy as the principal, and that's what we do. We understand the story and the wellbeing requirement of a young person first. You know, once we understand that story, then we're able to work with our young people to ensure that they're successful in education. Um, In our school, that is uh, senior VCAL and VETIS programs, but this year we've also added tutorial programs in literacy and numeracy to build skill level of our students. So I'm really lucky to be in a place where wellbeing and education go together.
1: Typical Phil that uh, Sally would divert from the question that was about herself straight to giving us a little insight of how, how she's gotten to where she is today and go straight into the community that she leads because that's the type of leader that she is. And, and that's the type of person that I encountered uh, in the most authentic ways when I when I had the good fortune of visiting uh, Hester Hornbrook at the end of last term. You know, I wrote in my blog that some days I have inspiring encounters with people and places that deeply move me because of their genuine care, connection and commitment to young people and and kind of our horizon, those young people are, and they're our future. And I wrote that today when I wrote that article was one of those days. And at the opening of the Hester Hornbrook Academy, it was something that had a profound impact upon me uh, and and, and the encounter with everything that you and and the wonderful team that you've assembled do. So perhaps for our listeners who haven't had the good fortune to, to step into this very unique learning environment. Uh, that you have uh, developed here at at the Sunshine Campus. Can you maybe share with our listeners the journey of starting something quite unique like the Hester Hornbrook Academy? Where does it begin? What were some of the challenges along the way? And what were those real aha moments when you realised that this intersection of wellness and learning is the answer?
2: Yeah, so I'm certainly not the founding principal of the Hester Hornbrook Academy, so I'm not gonna claim that. Um, There were a number of good people before me. I've just been lucky enough to open our new campus at Sunshine. I think what we see at Sunshine is the collaboration between youth work staff and educators. And when those people come together to support a classroom, it's really important learning and wellbeing working together in our space. We're a flexible school for 15 to 25 year olds and my staff are responsible for, you know, the future success of young people who haven't had success in education before. Our campus is unique because it's not like any other school, but our students say it's a school. No, there's a classroom and you sit in the classroom with your teacher and your youth worker and your educational support officer but it's a safe, secure place for our young people to come to. There's no need to be anything but yourself in our school. Um, Our students can come and feel safe to just be them and to be supported along the way. I suppose the journey to a new campus was because we noted that the Sunshine area required a school like ours, a school that was different from those, what we would call a mainstream school, Um, And that there were a number of young people who weren't uh, connected and who had totally detached, um, in some instances, from education. And what we see is those young people coming to a place of learning, a place of safety and well-being to learn new things. And, you know, we've got um, a number of mid-year graduates coming through, which is really exciting.
1: I think, Sally, you're underselling the value that you continue to bring to these young people. You're always so modest. Because what I witnessed wasn't just about young people learning new things. It was a learning community that allowed each young person in your care for the first time to feel that they were deeply seen and actually loved. You've got this unique framework where all of the classes not only have a skilled practitioner at the front of the room from an educational context but you have a youth worker working alongside of them and often an educational support type person working alongside of them. So these young people have this, this team of of individuals, and that's just the immediate classroom. And then there are so many outside of that space that support them from career, vocation, exploration, and pathways beyond the Hester Academy. You give these young people an enormous amount of hope that A, that they're significant and B, that they are worthy of success as anyone else is. What struck me when I encountered your learning community was it was less about being a handout, but a hand up. Can you talk a little bit to our listeners about the type of young people that are enrolled at the HESTA and their, their, their challenges, but how you then move them from the handout welfare kind of state philosophy to a hand up philosophy?
2: Sure. Yeah. So we enroll students who are 15 to 25 year olds. They come from a variety of trauma backgrounds, mental health issues, homelessness, poverty. Often they're told that they uh, can't remain at the school that they're currently at and therefore they're pushed away from education. So they do um, often come to us with, you know, a variety of different things, um, a variety of different issues that that we need to work through, our job is to give them the ability to work through some of those issues, to provide them the resources, to provide them the people and allow them to work through and be supported in, you know, maybe it's anxiety, um, and to support them with that so that they can come to our place, feel safe and learn. There are a number of different other resources that we reach out to and we we use as part of our school. You know, we have a psych on board. Uh, We have a wellbeing team leader on each of our campuses. So we do have three campuses, not just the Sunshine campus. And we have, you know, all of those really important pieces in place when a student arrives. They come to us and they need food, um, but we help them to prepare that food. So, you know, classroom teams, are preparing the breakfast or the lunch or, or whatever it might be they come to us needing access to it because many of them don't have access to it so we do provide that but then that opens a whole new world of learning for them which is really exciting uh, we know in our classrooms that every individual student needs different things every student has an individual education plan every student has a focus plan every student has their own unique and special thing that they bring to our school. And my team are able to work with each and every of those individual special young people that we work with.
0: Sally, I'm very interested in the notion of purpose in education and the, the purpose of an education and and then the purpose of people within that education and so on and so on, so on. I'm also thinking of what one of our Game Changers, guest Santiago Rincón Gallardo, course you know the liberation of freedom, and that's the notion that we liberate ourselves from our own mindset. It's not somebody else who liberates us. We liberate ourselves within within that notion. How do you help young people who've many people would have thought have come to the end of the road to discover in themselves the possibility? that there is a continuing road of hope. How do you help them find their sense of purpose?
2: look, I think we show them that education is the way to do that. Um, You know, if we can provide them with a a senior school certificate, be that VCAL, um, and some of those those VET credits, we show them that they are successful um, because often they've been told that they're not going to be successful. We can help them with a work placement we help them with external vets so we show them that in our community they are important and they can be successful but we also support them to go out into the wider community we show them that employment is possible for them so you know working through a CV providing short courses whether it be you know your barista license giving them those little small steps for purpose in their life and assisting them to break that cycle that perhaps they have been in. They can be successful in our learning community and that is often a whole change process for them, a whole change of thought for them because they can be successful here so we can help them and we can show them that they can be successful and purposeful. Um, to our community once they leave us here at Hester-Hornbrook. You know, many of our students don't think when they arrive that they could go on to further education and training, that VCAL is it and they can't move anywhere else after that. What my team does is show them that they are able to get into TAFE, they are worthy of being in a TAFE place or they're worthy of an apprenticeship and employment afterwards. You know, the biggest excitement for us is when a student gets a part-time job in our school because that shows that they are successful not just in our community but you know in that broader village that that a young person needs.
0: So much of what you're talking about there is about creating that sense of belonging or as you know Andrew Martin the psychologist would would describe you know that that school is a place for me. Mm. It's a tough road for many kids and the people working with them to get to that place where they can feel as though school is a Place for me, and quite often, uh, I mean, I, I can remember doing some work about a decade ago now with the remarkable Ross Rorder at Cassiarina School and Plumpton House School in, in the Mount Truett region in Sydney, where half the battle was was working through with kids that change of mindset, but then rehabituating children towards success. Um, that the, the age group of those two kids is the age group immediately before the 15 to 25 um, set. You, you have you have three tenants in every room that you have to be safe, to be productive and to be respectful. How do you help students who haven't felt safe beforehand, or perhaps haven't necessarily made an environment safe for other people, to feel safety and to promote safety? How do you help them to be productive? How do you help them to be respectful?
2: Yeah, look, I think the first thing I want to say there is that it takes time. So traditional education says that you must, you know, get through year 10 in 12 months. Well. You know what, for many students that is not the case. It's going to take them longer to feel safe in their learning environment so that they can be productive. Um, And part of that safety is the relationship that you develop with, with the young people and that my team develops with all of our young people. If they feel that there are people in their learning environment who want them in the classroom and don't want them out of the classroom, as is often the case in many schools, that begins to develop that relationship and that feeling of safety in our school. We talk all the time about whether you're ready to learn, so we understand in the morning or, you know, when a student arrives, whether they're ready to learn for that day. If they're not ready to learn, um, then it's our job, It's, it's the job of my team to find out why they're not ready to learn and how we can make them ready to learn. We don't just put them in that classroom and say you must learn, We have to understand whether they are ready for that learning at that particular time. And they might not be ready to learn. And it's okay to accept uh, in our school that you are not ready to learn um, and take them out of the learning space and work through what needs to happen to make them ready to learn. Productive just seems to come. It seems to come with that feeling of safety, that feeling of being a respected member of our school community. And then eventually we get to the productive and we certainly see that in our senior VCAL years, so when we've had students here with us for a period of time, we see that by the time they get to the traditional Year 12 or Senior VCAL, they are really productive um, and they are ready to for the next step. Um, we still work with our students, though, when they're finished with us. We've got an alumni and pathways program because we don't want to let them go. We want to keep that connection and keep making sure that they feel safe, respectful, and are productive in the community once they are finished with us as well. So I feel, um, feel like I went off track, but maybe I answered your question.
0: <laughs> oh, I, thought, I think you did just, just for the benefit of our, our overseas listeners. And we know that Growing Changes goes out to over 56 countries around the world. Can you just very quickly explain what you mean by VCAL and the different sure. educational pathways?
2: Yeah, so our school um, provides what we call a Senior Secondary School Certificate. Um, it is the VCAL certificate, the Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning. The idea here is that the learning is applied Um, It's hands-on and the students are involved in a variety of different subjects, I suppose, literacy, numeracy, work-related skills and personal development skills. I think, again, what's different in, in my school and what my team do is the students are with one group or one group of adults for most of their week and that's very different to what happens with many other schools. So in our VCAL program, our teachers teach the whole VCAL program And therefore the students are with them three days of the week and again that that in that helps with the safety they know who they're going to meet in the morning they know how that teacher teaches the lesson they know the youth worker they've developed the relationship
0: so quite often when you've got students who are in that environment there's a lot of internalized shame because they haven't experienced success there's all sorts of external factors that have compromised themselves along the way And when something goes wrong, because stuff goes wrong for all of us at the best of times, (laughs) right, things go wrong for me and every episode of Game Changers and and thank you to Oliver Cummins, our amazing producer who manages to edit all of those mistakes out. Um, When things go wrong kids can arc up really, really quickly and send themselves down a pathway not too excellent, but the opposite of that. And it's a lot of that, as I said, driven by shame and negative self-perception and so on. How does a team work with a student to work through those emotions and then step them back from themselves and in, into another place?
2: Yeah, I think what our team does really well in each of our classroom spaces is understand when a student is becoming heightened. So they can recognise that that student needs to leave that classroom or that that student needs to leave that space and they can assist them to do that if the student hasn't got the ability to do that themselves. Our students make mistakes. There are bumps in the road for every one of us and that's really important for us to show our students that just like they make mistakes, just like there's a bump in the road, we do the same thing. We're not always right in the way that we speak with or, you know, or manage our students, but we need to recognise that as adults in the learning space as well. We have a restorative practices process. So if a student uh, has done something that is not safe, respectful, and productive, then then sometimes they're stood down. Um, they go home. They they you know they're separated from the learning environment, but they come back the next day and we work through that restorative practice and we restore the relationship with whoever it might have been where that relationship is broken down. So, you know, there are times when we have to say to a student, all right, you need to just go now, come back tomorrow, and we'll we'll start on this again. We're not saying go away, don't ever come back. What we're saying just is, you know, at this very moment, it would be the best thing for us to separate these two people, and then we'll restore the relationship the next day or in the afternoon or wherever it might be. So it, it is, it's all about relationship, and it's knowing that, Um, is for our students to know that it's okay not to be at their best all of the time, because none of us are.
1: What's fascinating uh, listening to you and and the interchange between yourself and Phil just then, and you sharing so beautifully, not only the, the operational programs, but the human elements of what go on in your learning community. And you're a learning community that supports each individual and you really foster their character development, you foster their wellness, and you foster their competency. Because every young person's on a personalized learning plan, that personalized learning plan is not just about learning per se, it is about every element of their being, yeah? And you really work uh, uh, alongside all the various stakeholders for each individual. So much of your focus also is about supporting each young person to kind of heal and grow from the residual of their past and, and to work through the trauma that they have experienced in their life, you know, at any given point there's this kind of unconditional positive regard for every young person in the community. And I love how you just spoke then about, yes, we make mistakes, but you've given a whole new definition to failure and mistakes. You know, you're actually allowing these young people to wrestle in that space and grow from them. My question to you is this, many of our listeners wouldn't be familiar with your intentional program called Healing Orientated Program of Education, Hope. Can you talk to our listeners why your learning community has placed understanding who you are at the centre of what you do, plus the world around them, and the and the aspiration for each young person in your care.
2: Sure. So you know we we hear um, that we're trauma informed. Everyone says we're trauma informed, and we are trauma informed at our school. We absolutely understand trauma and the background of our young every single one of our young people. And we wanted to take that a little bit further. We wanted our our place of learning to be a place of healing, um, and that's why we've got our healing-orientated program of education. It's important that when a person steps into our school, into our, our learning spaces, that they feel, again, you know, we keep going back to that safety, that they feel safe, that their trauma is held, that they don't have to share it 25 times with 25 different people that we understand that and then we work through the process of helping them move to um, a place of healing, a pace of, um, you know, building that, that resilience, that, that um, self-esteem, that ability to go, you know what, I've got this and I can do this um, is really important. So all of my staff, all of my team, um, we work every three weeks on understanding our healing orientated program and you know, that's, some, that's about consistency. That's about the relationship. That's about um, your mindset. That's about understanding your emotions. There's a whole lot of, you know, there's a whole lot of pieces that go in there. And when they step into the classroom, we want that. We want the classroom to be a healing-orientated space. Um, so we start and end our classes in the same way every time. We speak in a manner which is respectful. Everyone speaks in that manner. Um, We understand the trauma, but we don't ask them to repeat that trauma again and again and again if our young people don't want to do that. You know, we understand that some of our young people uh, can't go home at night and feel safe, but we recognise that, we work through that, um, and we help them to come eventually to a place where they feel that they are of benefit to to our school community, but also to our whole community. Our HOPE program is very new. For us Mm -hmm. this year and we hope to take that um, to great places into the future Uh, it is certainly about strategies to engage our young people in our space yeah understanding their trauma that they come to us with
1: there's so much in that and i love that we keep coming back to how we can help these young people move from the position of surviving and resilience to to the position of resourcefulness and thriving and that's just so much of the work that that you and the team continue to do i just want to interrogate this kind of line of questioning around learner agency a little bit because that's what you've just touched upon there and given us a bit of an insight and 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 is also part of the this notion of um not hand out but hand up we know that learner agency and and self-determination need to become critical kind of constructs of any designing of a better normal school setting. We know that. And to help them to become more independent people who are confident enough to navigate their way through this very complex world, particularly relationships that they're having to deal with and heal themselves from. Can you talk a little bit about how you focus on increasing their student agency and their self-regulation?
2: Yeah, so it's important that we understand, like, you know, I keep going back to this, that we understand our young people and we understand their triggers. Um, It's important that we understand um, how and when they feel safe in in their space and in their learning. Um, Once we do that, we can help them to self-regulate and, you know, whether it's around the feeling of grounding yourself on the floor or whether it's around some breathing exercises. Getting each young person to understand what they need um, to move them through their learning is really important. Every student in our school, and I I think I've said this a number of times, is an individual. And Mm -hmm. we can't just expect every student to want to do the same applied project. We need to allow them to tell us how and what they need to learn, and that's really important for all of our young people. So, you know, student voice is really important. We listen to our students. We understand what they need. I think about, you know, previous schools I've been in, we don't need a uniform to learn. Um, so why, why do we put that pressure on our young people? We have, you know, a hoodie and a T-shirt, which is part of uh, our school. And it really is amazing that after, a, you know, a number of months, they want the hoodie and the T-shirt because they want to identify with us. But right. we don't care about the black socks and the white socks. It's about accepting and understanding the individual and and working with the individual to find their strengths so that they can be successful.
0: Or perhaps... Sally, no socks if you're from Italian heritage. Like um, whatever,
2: whatever, takes your pants, bill. Yeah, he has, he has, he
0: has needs, too, and that yeah. needs to. Be met. Yeah, Thank you, so, Sally. <laughs> Sally, I want to. Uh, sorry for being flippant there in the middle of a very serious moment. It's just, just who I am. Doesn't um,
2: impact on education, does it
0: really? <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Look, I want to shift if I can to your staff now. Let's start with you. How do you stay so calm?
2: Um. I'm not always calm,
0: <laughs> Yeah, We talk about the student agency in the self-regulation and particularly emotional self-regulation. The circumstances you're in at your school are demanding for staff members. They're demanding for school leaders. How do you work with yourself first? And then how do you work with your staff on supporting their self-regulation?
2: Look, I have an amazing team. Um, and because I have an amazing team, perhaps that's why I stay calm. Um, and when I talk team, I talk about all of my staff across our three campuses. Without the work of the staff that I have, I couldn't do my work. I think, you know, I want to say that they help me to remain calm because they hold our school each day and make sure that our students feel safe and secure. Because they're doing that, I can do my work and I can lead um, our school, which, uh, you know, I, I suppose, you know, that's how I do it. If if I didn't have the staff that I have then I wouldn't be able to do the job that I do and I wouldn't be able to promote the amazing learning environment that we have here. It's really important that we understand that or that I understand as the leader of this school that our staff need a place where they can talk through what's going on in their classroom. So all of our staff have external supervision and once a fortnight, once a th- once every three weeks, depending on their need, they are able to meet with an external person, and they are able to talk through their own wellbeing issues that have arisen as a result of the work that we do in our school. And that might be around, you know, strategies for engaging a classroom because I just cannot get these kids to engage in the activities that I want them. It might be around, oh, do you know what I've just had to deal with with, you know, Johnny? Johnny told me this um, because. Our students often reveal things that can impact on our mental health and well-being. Um, so having that in place is really important. And I'm not sure that it's in place in many schools mm-hmm. when many, many teachers are dealing with the same conversations and issues and students that we are dealing with. Um, Sally, that
1: person that, that the staff get the opportunity to work with is not only just a psychologist, but they also have skills in pedagogy.
2: They do. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, and that's really important because he meets with our teachers and our youth workers, and our teachers and youth workers both, you know, are responsible for learning and wellbeing. being doesn't matter what their quals what their are, you know, they are learning and wellbeing specialists in my school, and so therefore they need to speak to a learning and wellbeing specialist.
0: I think you're underselling yourself here because, <laughs> I mean, two, two observations that I want to make. First of all is that what we make work at the margins in education helps us make education work for everybody. In other words, the lessons that we learn with those who are most marginalised or those who are most disaffected help us to teach everybody better. So what we're getting here is not just a masterclass in how to run your school, but also a masterclass in all the sorts of things that can help um, all schools better. Uh, You know, as, As teachers, we have this dreadful habit of assuming that we're the most underpaid, undervalued, woe is me, people in the world Uh, we get ourselves into this negative mindset and 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 we're not actually attending to our own well-being we're not attending to our own initiative we're not doing the things that are helpful instead we congregate with each other and whip ourselves into a lather of self-pity too often around this you've got very deliberate shaping of culture going on not just culture of students it's also of staff and you're putting very smart interventions in place to help students do this how does this work occur? How does the decision making occur? How it, how 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 are you coming up with this stuff, and how do you know it's working?
2: Um, how do we come up with this stuff? Well, we keep we keep talking and we keep getting feedback. And um, you know, I've just done some work with some schools in South Australia to understand what they do. We don't think that we've got the answers. That you know, we we think that we've got more to learn. I think that I've got more to learn as a school leader. Um, and we are certainly you know, networking and understanding what others are doing well. I suppose I am putting in place things that I know didn't exist in my previous schools. Um, And if I think back to myself as a teacher, uh, when I was able to develop good relationships with young people, they gave you so much information and so many things that you had to deal with um, without the supports that my, my team, my staff have. So I'm trying to put in place those things that I saw that were not available um, in previous schools.
0: Yeah, I had a, I had a, I've got a very close mate in education. He used to keep a little book with, with a heading was things I won't do when I'm the boss. And he, every time he saw something he didn't like, he would write it down, et cetera. What you're, what you're talking to us about is, is that you, you, you are modeling the dispositions of a continuous learner and unlearner of a, of a solution architect and of a future builder. Uh, of a team creator, and dare I say it, a good person and a responsible citizen all at the same time. So in other words, you are walking the walk of that as well as talking the talk. I want to take you back to the shaping of culture because so many school leaders look at the challenge of shaping staff culture and don't take it on. They do all of the other stuff, but the hard stuff, the really hard stuff is to work with a group of staff and convince them there's a big step forward and up that needs to be taken, that they can do it, that it's okay to be consciously incompetent for a bit while you're gaining incompetency and that it's possible to do it, that you don't have to stay stuck in the past. Give me three ways that you work with your staff to help them keep taking the step forward and up.
2: Yeah, so we've got a real focus at the moment on collaboration, um, and I think that that can't be undersold. You know, we as teachers, I as a teacher, used to see teachers who didn't want to share, like this is my, this is mine, and I'm not sharing with you. But I'm not under, I don't understand why that exists in education. You know, we are, we are teachers, and we should teach fellow teachers what to do. So. You know, that's really important in in our community. Um, As a youth worker, they have, the our youth workers just have so much knowledge uh, and and skill to provide to us as educators. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to blend two, you know, two really totally different occupations into one. Um, And I say trying because I'm, you know, My staff, when they listen to this, will know that there are things that are not quite working um, that we need to work through. But really, it's about collaboration. It's about bringing two totally different spheres together and really to work for the best for our young people that we work with every day. Um, I don't want ever to think that I have learned everything. I've got so much more to learn uh, about this school and this setting. and my staff should be thinking that as well, But, you know, they have more to learn in order to do the best thing by the young people that we work with every day.
0: So I'm hearing collaboration, I'm hearing modelling, and I'm hearing you setting explicit expectations about dispositions and attitudes and values and then the behaviours that come from them.
2: Yeah, agreed. You put that
0: well, Phil.
1: Thank you. <laughs> well, find <before> those words. <laughs> I, I, I want to uh, so much of what you've been sharing with with us today uh, around this piece of respirosity uh, and inclusion. You know, deep inclusion uh, is is human centred, and that was so pronounced when I had the good fortune, like I said earlier, to to visit uh, the campus and encounter the purpose of your staff. You know, because they're deeply committed to it. It was clear to me that they also feel deeply heard and deeply appreciated. And many of them have worked in other school environments where, like you, the experience was very opposite to that. And and at least they haven't been jaded enough, you know, to to be conditioned in a particular way. But they are continually open to their possibility and, of course, uh, the possibility of the young people in their care. One of the things that's really unique and interesting also about the Hester Hornbrook Academy is the actual architecture of the place because that's as intentional as what you've just shared about the human-centered elements. When I went uh, into this space, Phil, there's this architectural design and brilliant use of light, colour, texture, quiet zones, communal spaces, active, passive spaces, um, and and opportunities for learners to connect, to be energised, but, of course, feel safe. And there was a – the colours that were used – had a joy about them and had a positive energy about them because we know that some of these young people are coming from environments that not only feel gloomy, but look gloomy. So their encounter compounds, you know, issues of depression or or, or the direness of their situation. So that's very intentional on your behalf. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the genesis behind that thinking, and why you were so intentional in your design for that campus?
2: Yeah, sure. What we knew was that our students needed to come into a place where they felt enclosed um, and intentionally safe. So they walk in the main doors and really they can't get out, um, but that was intentional because they needed to feel safe and secure when they walked inside our space. And they needed to know that randoms off the street weren't gonna walk in or jump the fence. Um, and that if there were issues for them outside of the school, they couldn't come into our school. So that was that was sort of like the, you know, the first thought around that. We are in uh, like a big warehouse space, but I didn't want it to feel like a warehouse. It had to feel special. Um, And I think that we've created something special. Too often we hear of flexible settings that are in Mm -hmm. old, run-down buildings, and I didn't want that for our young people. They deserve better. And an amazing architect that I work with, um, Heidi from Grey Park Sand, and I kept telling her that this space has to be special, this needs to be warm, inviting, colourful it needs to be a bit like a school because obviously we need to do some learning but it has to feel like I want to be here and I don't want to get out of here and often that's the case for some of our young people they don't want to leave at the end of the day the colour was absolutely intentional um, and you move through pockets of colour as you walk through our campus and that that was really important as well I didn't want a school corridor because school corridors for some of our young people relates to trauma I didn't want too many places where people could hide because, you know, when you hide, there's a reason why you're hiding. There might be, you know, a place where you can go and feel um, alone and safe, but you can't hide. We have a number of young people who need to be physically active. So there had to be an inside place for physical activity. We always share food when COVID allows us to do that, Um, and so there had to be the kitchenettes where you could go and get your coffee or, you know, prepare your food or collect your sandwich if your sandwich was being made for you. So those things were really important. Um, I do remember um, having conversations about staff rooms. Why don't we have a staff room? Well, because we're a community and staff sit in a staff room when they don't actually want to talk to students, and you know what, in our community, We want to be with our students and talk to our students all of the time, so we share a lunch space. Yeah, those things were really important as we designed. Uh, We needed to have the classroom as uh, like a box, a classroom space where, again, you felt that you could learn in in a peaceful, quiet place. But then I wanted them to be able to move out of the classroom to what felt like an outside space inside, and I think that we've been able to create that um, as well. it's a pretty special space. I'm certainly, again, not claiming uh, the design because we ha- I had an amazing architect who really just allowed me to speak through what I wanted from our space and what our students wanted because our students were involved and our staff were involved um, in designing and in the consultation of, you know, what went where and how does it fit? So, yeah, yeah it's a pretty special space.
1: You know, Phil, we've heard the Hester Hornbrook Academy being deeply human centred. We've heard about the tech-enriched components to it, because many of these students undertake a vet study that has a tech component to it. In particular, we've heard that this school aspires to be very people, planet, and place conscious. And now we've just heard it's intentionally purposeful about the environment to help young people flourish and thrive going forward. Community is at the heart of all of this as well, and you just touched upon that. And 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 what you're doing in this space is significant, particularly for for those disenfranchised young people in Melbourne's West and in the area of Sunshine. My final question to you is a more personal one, though, now, and that is around the fact that you've shared the purpose of this space in transforming the lives of these young people. I'm interested, and I'm sure our listeners are interested in, what is Sally's life of purpose? Not a small question, by the way. Yeah, not <laughs> a
2: small question. We're all asked to I certainly want to be the leader of a school that makes a difference to young people. Um, and that sounds you know, corny, everyone says that, but we have to be lifelong learners. And if we haven't had that initial opportunity to be a successful learner, then we're not going to be lifelong learners. Every young person deserves education. Um, every young person deserves to be heard, safe and respected in their place of education. And And ultimately, uh, you know, that's what I would like to achieve uh, in my life as a school leader, a place where people can come and feel safe and respected and learn and be themselves. Because we are not all the same. We don't all want to sit in a classroom with 25 students learning a topic that we think has no connection to our real life. That's, That's what I'd like to ensure that that well you know that well-being is seen as just as important if not more important as learning outcomes you can't have a learning outcome if your well-being is not satisfactory
0: Sally I think that sort of leads into the last question I want to ask you which is that's an example that that notion that you can't have uh, you can't have a learning outcome without well-being first that's a principle of a high performance learning culture and we've heard so much so far and I was reflecting as you were talking earlier um, uh, with Adriano about this bit and that bit and that bit and and the intentionality of the design so much of that is about noticing as well too do you have say one or two other tips for our listeners about the way in which you foster a high performance learning culture or perhaps some of the behaviors of a high performance learning culture
2: Look, I think it's about respecting your staff and understanding. For me, I want to be able to thank my staff for the work that they do. And, you know, as a leader, you make difficult decisions that sometimes your staff are not happy with. But, but ultimately, for me, if you want a high-performing team, you need to be able to be grateful and thankful for what they bring to that team. Um, and I hope that I do that with my team um, across my three campuses of the Hester Hornbrook Academy. Again, if, if I, I feel that if I have the right structure and, and supports in place for my team, then they should be able to flourish. Um, so I see my job as ensuring the structure, the actions, the strategic directions are in place, because then that allows my team to be the best possible Team
0: that they can be. It's a little bit like Jim Collins in Good to Great, isn't it, where Adriano, it's it's the humility and the willpower and the, the capacity to bridge the apparently irre- irreconcilable gap between the two. Um, Sally, thank you so much for today it's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure learning about your school and digging out even a few details about you too although of course you're just trying to push your school and your and your staff into the foreground instead of yourself it's
2: not about me it's about
0: yeah. my team yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 bless you you, you you're a, you're a beautiful person seriously <laughs> and and you're doing wonderful work out there for all of our game changers out there um listening to sally today there's so much of what she's talking about that if we open our minds and we open our hearts to the possibility of taking some of these principles from an educational setting that is very distinctive, we can apply so much of this everywhere in education. Thank you, Sally, for joining us today. Really, really appreciate the work you and your team are doing. And uh, yeah, every blessing to you along the way, Hey. Thanks, Phil. Thanks
2: for your time. Thanks, Adriano.